has been a very long evening of intense teaching for Jesus. And always in the back of his mind was the knowledge that he would be arrested that night. It started with the washing of the disciples' feet, including Judas, and Peter with his first bravado of the evening. (laughs) Peter. Then they begin the Passover meal. It was time to teach them what centuries of Jews had not understood. That Judas had to be dealt with. The evil smoldered in his eyes as he took the bread and the money and left. Now Jesus could really teach the eleven that he so loved. Teach them too. Love. Teach them. Love. They needed to understand love is sacrifice. Which led to Peter's second bravado. And they all joined in on that one. This was all going on just as Judas was nearing the high priest's house. Jesus had to teach them about himself. It would seem to them that everything was changing. In one way, that was certainly true. The whole universe was about to change. But there were some things that wouldn't change. He smiled when he taught them of his relationship to the Father. Oh, Philip, so much desire and so little understanding. He could teach them of the Spirit more fully. Now that Judas was gone... It would not be long, and they would finally meet Him, the Spirit, themselves. They could have peace, even though the world and Judas, Judas was a part of that, caused them trouble, peace. But only through Jesus. And they would have to, they would have to love, as He did, with their lives. At the very time Judas was finalizing his deal with the Jews, Jesus warned the eleven of the hatred the world would have for them. Their very love and the fruit of their righteous living would expose the evil of the world. But the Spirit would keep them. He is the one who will help them through the trouble. And even more, He would teach them once the glory of the sun was accomplished, the Spirit would make sure they remembered all that they needed to start the church, to write the Scriptures. The priests were arranging for Judas' escort of Roman soldiers as Jesus warned the disciples this would be a difficult time. They would be overwhelmed with sorrow, but it's going to be okay. He still had to go through this glory, this cross, And they would all desert him. But they would come back. And it was so good to tell them that he had already overcome the world. And just then, Judas, the priests, and the soldiers were all collected. They didn't know it, but Satan and a horde of his demons was there with them. Everything was about to happen. Now Jesus needed 
desperately to pray for himself, for his believers, for all believers. Let's join with Jesus as he prays. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world. But they are in the world, and and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. 
And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Now, Father, we will pray. In the intensity of that evening, when your son knew that he would suffer, he depended on you for his strength. Not that he needed to, he chose to. And you chose to give all your creation into his hands. Especially those who you gave to him. You gave our care into his hands. And we don't just want it, we need it. So we fall into your arms through his. We ask you to keep us and guard us. And one day, bring us safely into your presence. Today, help us to understand more of you through the prayer of your Son. We ask all these things in the name of your Son. Amen. There's a lot of ways you could look at this prayer. (laughs) I think if we spent eight hours a day for the next month, we would think that we had begun to scratch the surface. I really do think we could do that within a month. There's a lot in here. We could look at the various times that Jesus spoke of. All these different times. Of course, we could look at the locations that are involved and that he mentioned. Or the actions. All the things that are happening. But of course, it's the who of the prayer that interests me. The relationships between them. Jesus prayed for himself and for the eleven And he spoke of the world, including Judas. And he prayed for all believers. That would include us. (laughs) Jesus prayed for us. Wow. But today, I'd like to look at somebody else. (laughs) I'd like to look at the one to whom Jesus prayed. Let's look at the Father. Through the eyes of Jesus in prayer. As much as we can. I mean, we're not Jesus. <laughs> you know, we, we don't really get it all. But, but there's a lot we can learn as we look at this, what he reveals to us about the Father. Okay, the Father. Now, the word Father is used in verses 1 and 5 and 11 and 24 and 25. Okay? <laughs> a lot of times. Now, in verses 1, 5 and 24, he simply says, Father. Father, the hour has come. Father, glorify me. Father, I desire that they also may be with me. So those three verses, he just says the word Father. But in verses in 11 and 25, he gives us a little bit more. In 11, he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. This is interesting. Holy Father. Now, the word holy, of course, means pure. Purity. It means being pure and right. Good. That kind of thing. But we're talking about God. (laughs) So now we have this divine part of it. So what is God's purity like? Oh, like everything else about God, it's perfect. Okay, it's perfect purity. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to claim perfect purity. You know, once I wake up, it's down the tubes, okay? I, I probably look great when I sleep that way like kids, you know. <laughs> great as long as you're asleep, but as soon as you wake up, you got a problem, okay? 
we aren't like God in His purity. Not now. So that makes God different or transcendent is the technical term for it. He is completely separate from us in the way that He is perfect in His purity. His purity and our purity, mm, they, they, they aren't together. <laughs> they, they're completely separate. God is transcendent from us in His perfection of purity. But Jesus said, Holy Father. Wow. Father, you have this what's called imminent. Now now we're sharing. Now we're together in this. He's our Father. So you have this intimate view of, of this perfect God that's different from us and yet together with us. You have those two things all in one little tiny phrase, Holy Father. It's amazing when you realize that. And, and if you've seen the wonder of, of a child with a really good working relationship with their father, wow. I mean, their whole life is 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 affected and positively by that. And of course, unfortunately, the other way around. No, no father on earth is perfect. Not even my dad. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. But a good relationship. You see it in that. Can you imagine a perfect father? I mean, who's our true father after all, right? I mean, we all have a perfect father, but he's our father. So we can have this intimate relationship, and because he's holy, perfectly holy. He can keep us. He has that ability. Because He's our Father, He desires to keep us. So those two things come together. It's just beautiful. And then Jesus ends the prayer with this fantastic appellation. Sorry, I always like that word. First read it in a George Washington quote for years ago. So an appellative is a descriptive name or designation. Holy Father is an appellative. Is that? But this one, in 25... Oh, righteous Father. Ah, interesting. Not only is God perfect in His purity, but in His actions He is right too. He does right things. So much to say about that. But for us, the point in this prayer is kind of this. The world cannot know Him. Or the one He sent. Because He and Jesus, they do what is right. And the world cannot really understand that and will not really get to know Him. So they can't and they will not. Both. But we, we can know the Father through the One He sent. Amazing. Amazing. All that, just for those words, Father, in the prayer. Can you add? We're just barely getting going. Okay, we have this brief introduction to the Father. So there's three other groups of things that we can discover about him that are in this prayer that I want to talk about today. Who the Father is in how he interacts with the Son, their, their relationship. What the Father gives the Son and what the Father will do for those that he gives to the Son. So let's start with who the Father is, how he interacts with the Son, so their relationship. First, he is the only true God. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He is the only true God, the Creator. In uh, Japan, uh, Dr. Wilson was telling me, when you go over there, you have to, they, everybody will say, you say, Jesus is Lord. Okay, great. You need to worship Him. Great, no problem. No, no you need to worship Him only. He's the Creator of everything. Oh... <laughs> They got lots of gods, you know, like Mormons. Every man's Mormon man's going to be a god, right? I mean, they got lots of gods. Yeah, no. <laughs> There's only one Creator God. 
But the point of this whole prayer, this thing is, that what does no mean? Not just in your mind. It's not just an intellectual thing. Okay, Satan knows God as a fact. He knows that God's... That's, he knows that fact. That's not what we're talking about. The only true God. This no indicates an intimate relationship with the Father and the Son in this case. And it actually John had to use a special Greek word for no. Uh, it speaks of kind of the ultimate intimacy. The, the people that translated the Old Testament into Greek way, way back when, before Jesus even came, they struggled to try and show intimacy. And when they came to this thing of a man and his wife going to have a child for procreation, they used this special word no for the ultimate intimacy. And in human relationships, that's the most intimate we get. But unfortunately, in our society, when you say intimacy, it seems to always be tied with the uh, Procreation Act. People can't seem to separate it. Uh, And I'm going to tell you right now, you should have a lot more intimacy not based on that than based on that. Because theoretically, you have one husband or one wife, right? I mean, (laughs) and I'm hoping you have some intimacy that goes beyond that sort of thing. Uh, Maybe parents or siblings or friends that you are very intimate with. And we need to think that way. And the reason is the father and son have this ultimate intimacy. I'm going to tell you right now, they have a closer relationship than anything anybody in the world begins to understand. Okay, Their intimacy is unbelievable. And incredibly, that's why the father sent the son. <laughs> and that's in four verses. Verse 3, 8, 18, and 23. In this little short prayer... Medium prayer. Four times he mentions that the Father sent him. Wow. Uh, that's got to be something. By the way, we should stop. Verses. Do you all know that chapters and verses were added like a thousand years after the New Testament was written? I mean, there were no, it's not like John wrote down and said, chapter one, verse one. He wrote verse one and then verse two. And it, no, no, no. They, <laughs> and none of that's in there. We use these. They're very convenient. It's so much easier to say, these are the four verses and say, and you know, and then when he says this, and then when he says this, and then when, okay, it's a lot faster the way we're doing it, but don't get confused into thinking, you know, you pull those out. They're made to go together, but these are for our looking them up quickly. So the verses and chapters and verse are great things, so we're glad we have them, but don't let them confuse your reading as you read it. Okay, so Jesus mentions four times that the Father sent him. We've got to understand this because Jesus said he was sending them and us, by extension, as he was sent. So that's kind of important to understand this sending thing. It, it relates to what we are supposed to do. Uh, and the unity of their relationship, Father, Son, and the Spirit, is also the basis of our unity. So if we don't get this sending and unity thing we're not going to get what we're supposed to do. And, and we have to understand, too, now their relationship is eternal. It goes both ways. Ours is everlasting from when we were born or conceived on. Okay, we have a relationship that goes from here on. Theirs goes both ways forever. Forever in the past, forever in the future. Matter of fact, just forget that whole time thing. It's not going to work for describing God, so we just ignore time because <laughs> we can't deal with it. It's a lot different, but it's also our example. So just be thinking that out as you go. Uh, part of it is, you know, the father lived with the son before he was sent. 
Okay, that's important. That's in verse 5. And does this remind you of anything? Remember, we're, I know we've been like two and a half years in this, but we actually are studying the, the Gospel of John in order. If you haven't been here for two years, you wouldn't know that, but we are. John 1 1. What does it say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? And then just a little bit down in one fourteen, John writes, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. What kind of glory? Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay? So. We're getting, what, you, what I really want you to understand is this prayer is the culmination of Jesus' teaching ministry to his disciples. If you will, you, I mean, remember, in, in a few minutes, he's going to be arrested. Okay, minutes. And he's tying up everything that he said to them. Okay, this, this prayer, if you look back through the Gospels, you'll be amazed. This prayer, it just ties it all together. It's absolutely amazing. He's praying to the Father but so the disciples can hear. In, in that sense, it's, it's a public prayer kind of idea. So it's still a teaching moment. And don't forget the Holy Spirit had John record it so we could read it. So clearly we're supposed to learn some things here. The only true God who sent the Son and lived with Him before the world was created is also one with the Son. Verses 11, 21, and 22. i got to tell you, They've probably heard this so many times by now. <laughs> it is burned into their brains. One with the Son, one with the Father. Yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it. But still, Jesus puts it three times in this prayer because it's so important. God is one as to nature, to essence, who He is in nature. In essence, the Spirit of God is one. But He's three as to persons. There's a Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Very important to know because the Father loves the Son. We, you can't have that love <laughs> without them being different persons. So, 23, 24, and 26, the Father loves the Son. And the basis for all the love that we have, the true love that we have, is the relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That's the basis of our love. And it's just very important to do that, to do all that. So. So that's the first part. Then we want to say what the Father gives the Son. What does the Father give the Son? In this little prayer, we find out the Father gives to the Son even though they are one in nature. How can that be? Because the Son added a human nature to His person. The Son truly has two natures in which He simultaneously exists. You've heard me say it before. It's not like you can take a break from being God. There's no coffee breaks from being God. <laughs> you don't get to go on vacation. None of that happens, right? I mean, He's God. But He could add another nature to His person. It's so perfectly, by the way, that when He was born, I mean, you didn't know who you were when you were born, but you were who you were, right? Jesus didn't know who He was when He was born. He did not know. He had to learn that. Wow, that's amazing. But He was who He was, so it became pretty obvious pretty fast. But he has this other nature. So the Father can give him and needs to give him things. The first one, and it's fascinating, the Father gives glory to the Son. In verses 1, 5, 22, and 24, four times, the Father gives glory to the Son. Why does Jesus tell us that? That's kind of big. Because Jesus does not seek after his own glory. 
Never once in his human nature is it ever recorded that he sought for his own glory. And frankly, I don't think he, think he seeks for his own glory in his divine nature either. Uh, McLeod is a beautiful book called uh, The Person of the Christ. And in it he says, it just seems like that the Father and the Son and the Spirit just vie with each other. They, they compete with each other to give glory to each other more than the other one. You know, it's just, it feels like that. Uh, just a beautiful picture. But the persons of the Trinity give glory to each other. So, the point is, remember this is a teaching moment that Jesus is doing here. He trusts the Father. He doesn't try to get his own glory. God will take care of it. Father takes care of it. I don't have to deal with it. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe us too. Okay? And by the way, did you catch that? We will share in Jesus' glory. We will share in Jesus' glory in eternity. Wow! And by the way, it's a glory that Jesus was willing to lay aside in his human nature. He laid aside his glory. Uh, it's important. You know, I, somebody said, yeah, but geez, the son didn't die, you know, divine. I mean, it, and, and Dr. Wilsey said, you know, he died in his human form and persons died. Persons died. Jesus died. And he gave up his glory. Why was he willing to do that? Well, of course, he always had it. But he knew the Father would give it back to him. He didn't have to worry about it. I think there's a good lesson for us in there. There's another thing the Father gives, and that's authority over all flesh. To the Son, he gives authority over all flesh in verse 2. You guys heard of Baha'i faith, however you say that. E-A-H-A apostrophe I. That faith, you know, they go, they're all over the place now. now. If you talk to anybody in Islam, they'll tell you, well, that's just a perversion of Islam. <laughs> they don't like it too much. But their big deal is they say all religions believe in God. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you really believe. Well, that's nuts. Okay, You can't say, you can't have two groups of people saying conflict, absolutely conflicting things and say they all go to the same. They don't. They can't. It's impossible. And it makes sense when you think about it. If the story is really true, then that has to be it. There's no other logical Approach. It's got to be that. It can't be anything else. So, yeah, how many ways are there to God? Yeah, one, and, and his name's Jesus. So, okay, there we are. Uh, you, you might have to work to get there, but you, you, you know, there might be lots of ways to get to Jesus, but you got to get to Jesus. And, and there's no other religion, uh, no other belief that'll do. I'm sorry. You know, we claim to be exclusive. So do lots of other religions. One of us is right. Well, or all of us is wrong. But only one of us could be right. Okay. I'm pretty confident, so if you're not sure. <laughs> Here's the, a really fascinating thing that, that the Father gives to believers. Or gives to the Son. And that is believers. I kind of ruined that, didn't I? So, the Father gives to the Son believers. Verses 2, 6, 9, and 12. Uh, four times in this little prayer he has to say this. Wow. It might be important to know that. So the Father gave them, the disciples, and of course, by extension, He gave us to the Son. The Father gave us to the Son. When Jesus was on the earth, the Father gave anybody who believes here to the Son. Uh, you weren't there yet, in case you didn't know that. And actually, before Jesus was here, the Father gave us to Him. In other words, we were always His. We were always His. We didn't know it. <laughs> we didn't know it. Sometimes we didn't get there right off the bat. 
but we were always his. And the point is, we have to remember we are not of this world because if if it's okay let's it's location with Jesus this is kind of fun if you do this Jesus was in the world right but he's not now but we still belong to him right and if our owner is not in this world doesn't belong to this world neither do we <laughs> we don't belong to this world we're in it and if we believe in him we are not of it I think it's a big deal. So in a sense, we we don't belong here, well, permanently. I mean, we belong here right now, but this is not our permanent home. You ever met somebody? My dad uh, loved to work with missionaries, and we had lots of friends. He had lots of friends who were missionaries, and we had some uh, RV cabinets. Spent his entire adult life uh, in the Philippines, just coming back. And he worked in in all that area of the world. He just he did he absolutely loved those people, and he he gave his life. He had malaria four times. They finally told him you can't go back anymore. Cause if you get malaria again, you're gonna die. <laughs> so they wouldn't let him go back anymore. And he was 78 or something when they finally refused to give him the money to go back there anymore. It's the only way they could stop him. And anyway, he said something though. It's so nice to be home. Wait a minute. You spent almost your entire life over there. Yeah, but he's an American. And if you've seen it all over the place, people are so nice to be home. You just spent the 40 years and 60 years in another country. Yeah, but that I'm an American. That's what it was like. Only we haven't been to where we're from yet. Does that work? Anyway, you see where I'm going. So don't forget where you belong. And, and we should say, don't forget whose you are. There's two other things that the Father gives the Son that relate to that center one, which is the important one. The first is He gives work for the Son to do. In particular, the work, that's verse 4, by the way, if you're keeping notes, the work of the cross, redemption, uh, is the big one. Uh, There's other work, but that's it. And I I don't know about you, but I'm really glad He did. (laughs) Just really glad He did. And then the Father gives words to the Son. In verse 8, now we've talked so many times about the words of Jesus, and he's even called the word we just read. So aren't you glad that he said them? And we're not just talking about the red letters, okay? All the words in the Bible are Jesus' words. Just He didn't put them on his own lips, it doesn't matter. He, he designed the Bible. The whole Bible is his words, uh, even the ones that were written before he came to the earth. Uh, so I'm just glad we have that. It's so fun. Okay, last section. What the Father will do for those that He gives to the Son. Because remember, we're given to the Son. First, the Father keeps believers in His name. In verse 11. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in Your name, which You have given Me, that they may be one, even as we are one. First, there's no safer place to be than in the Father's arms. But did you notice the unity that we are guaranteed? Did you notice that? We're guaranteed a unity when we settle into his embrace. I kind of wonder if maybe we should say that this keeping of us, maybe that is the unity. Think about it. The Father keeps believers for Himself. But He doesn't just 
kind of keep them. It doesn't just not lose them. The Father keeps believers from the evil one. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. The reason some translations have evil one instead of just evil is because the, the word evil is emphasized in the Greek and um, there's almost no occasion when that doesn't relate to a person. So they feel that probably meaning to keep him from the evil one. What it boils down to is that we don't get to get out of the world, at least not right away, <laughs> which is where the evil one is. He's here. And we're here. But God will keep us from him, you know, keep in what sense, from overwhelming us. Satan cannot overwhelm us. We can make mistakes and, <laughs> yeah, but Satan is not, is not allowed, and is not allowed to ultimately overwhelm us at all. So, God the Father, the creator of the universe, watches over us, individually, each one of us as well as a, as a group. Here's another thing he does. Because he sets us apart, the Father keeps believers for himself from the evil one and sanctifies them. In verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. To sanctify means to set apart for a holy purpose. Set apart. We are set apart for a holy purpose. How? Well, it says right there, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Ah. By his word. You know, do you want to use good words and uplifting words instead of, well, those other ones? (laughs) You want to live right, not just for yourself, but actually doing things for people? You want to clearly live Christ for the world so people say, wow, that person's got to be a Christian. Nobody would do that unless they were a Christian. You want to be able to do that? That's not hard. Just learn his word, live his word, love his word. That, that's what he's saying. That's how you get set apart for a holy work. That's it. So now we get to this. Why? <laughs> Why does the Father keep us for himself and from the evil one? Why does he set us apart for a holy purpose? The Father loves believers. Verses 23 and 26. Jesus prayed that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. We are loved by the Father like he loved the Son? And again, note that the unity, that the unity that true believers have demonstrates to the world that we are loved by the Father and the Son. The unity is important. That's why Satan attacks unity in the church so viciously. I mean, have you you got to watch out for the whispers of Satan. He, he whispers in our ears. It's easy some days to see why God... Why you're allowed to hate Satan. It's not hard to see why. He whispers in your ear and it's so easy to miss it. To miss, to miss that. What is she doing? Why is, she, why is he doing that? How come they have that? Wait. 
That's Satan whispering in your ear, and he does it all the time. And it's really hard for us to remember that Satan's number one attack against us is going to be what? Well, how about the thing that shows that he loves people? What's that? Oh, our unity. That, yeah. Every time you find a problem with somebody in church, you've got to say to yourself, ooh, wait a minute, is that real? And it might be. Because <laughs> they might be whispered that Satan maybe they did. But it might not be. And you just got to be really cautious to build for the unity. Lots of talk on that. So we won't do that. There's one, uh, that's a lot of wonderful things that the Father will do for those of us who believe. But here's the one last thing he'll do. <laughs> and this is a big one. The Father will bring believers to be with Jesus. In verse 24, he will bring us home. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Another little interesting thing. Did you catch that? You Before the foundation... The plan was in place before the world was formed. Before there was a creation, the cross was already in the plan. Okay? When Adam fell into sin, the father and son didn't say, Oh, no, what are we going to do? <laughs> no. They knew all along. They had already planned the solution. I wonder, too, I said this to one of my profs and he really had to think a long time. Could we say that the whole universe was created so that they could provide a solution for us? The whole universe was created so Jesus could die for us. Wow. That's a thought and a half. And it's why Jesus could endure the humiliation of the cross because of that joy that was set before him. He knew what the plan did. He knew how it turns out. Yes, you can kill me, the Son of God in human form, but guess what? I'm the Son. <laughs> and I can't stay dead. You're going to lose the battle here. Because he knew what would happen, because he knew the glory that would happen, because he knew that we would come to be with him, because the Father was going to bring us where he's... He's already thinking he's there. Did you catch that? I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. He's already got. He's already there, man. Ah, that's where I am. Yeah, I already got it. I'm there. And um, to us, we're looking at it saying, wait, you haven't gone through the cross yet. You don't understand. It's a done deal. He's already there. And we get to be with him in that place. It's, it's more than exciting. And Jesus, when he, when he gets there, you know, he could get there because we said that a few weeks ago because of the joy that was set before him. He'll share that joy and His glory with us in our eternal home. Whew. The real This is the real Lord's Prayer, by the way. You hear people say the Lord's Prayer. That's actually the Lord's teaching the disciples how to pray. <laughs> this is actually the Lord's Prayer. This is where He's praying. Uh, it was a prayer, interestingly enough, for us. For us to, to grasp things. It's for our, our, he prayed for our preservation as Christians. You get that? He prayed that we would have that sanctification, that setting apart from the world. And he prayed for our unity as a church. He prayed for our participation in his future glory. He prayed for the Father's love for us. He prayed for all that. And it's the Father's love for us. Just minutes before he was betrayed, Jesus prayed to the Father. 
And we learn from there of his relationship with the Father and the Spirit. That he was sent by the Father. That they lived together before he was sent. That the Father and the Son are one in nature, but two different persons. That the Father loves the Son. We know the Father gives to the Son. He gives him glory. He gives him authority. He gives him work to do. He gives words to him. He gave him us. And the Father will do things for us. He will keep us safe. He will keep us from the evil one. He will keep us in unity. And he will set us apart for a holy purpose. Why? Because the Father loves us. Us, you and me. He loves you. That's amazing. And he loved you before the world was ever born. So he will safely bring us home to the place where Jesus is. And we can know that we have a glorious eternity ahead of us with a wonderful relationship with the Father and with the Son and with the Spirit. And we learned all that because of this prayer of the Lord's. Wow. Let's pray.